Warning, this episode contains references to self-harm. Please listen at your own discretion. You are listening to One Conversation. Hello and welcome to One Conversation, where the world is truly one, at least in conversation. This podcast celebrates similarities and differences in the human experience by exploring different realities and perspectives on a given topic or social issue through conversation. I am your host, Cecil Saidi, and in this episode, I am joined by Rebecca Harrison, who shares with us her personal journey of self-healing, so self-love, self-care, and self-discovery. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me and for also for sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I've, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because... For our listeners, Rebecca and I went to university together. We were in a English and creative writing yeah. course yeah. together. That's how we met, but we went our separate ways after that. Recently, you were very active on Facebook about your journey with, you know, self-healing, self-care. And that just got me very interested because I myself recently have gone through, well, I'm, st- I'm still on that journey at the very beginning of that journey. Um... And I found your story very, very relatable. I related to it so much. And so I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Yeah. Um, firstly, I think that the journey, once you start it, it never, never stops. You said that you're at the start of your journey, but I still feel like I'm at the start of mine as well. And I've mm. been diving deep for about four years now. Mm. So it is incredibly different for everyone, which I think is... One of the most exciting parts about, you know, starting your journey, it's also one of the things that inspired me to want to speak so openly about it on my social media. Part of my journey is to not feel shame or, you know, embarrassment in any of my past or any of my, yeah, my past experiences because that's exactly, you know, the things we need to go through Mm. to learn and to grow. Mm. So um, my journey sort of started when I opened up about my mental health. I have been through a lot of trauma as a kid. Um, I grew up in a little country town here in SA. I lived there for my whole life. So I've never really known, you know, the big city and things like that. My community is one where if somebody has known you basically from birth, like they know everything about you, everyone around you are related because they've established their families and properties there. My parents got divorced when I was four years old. So that is really where the basis of like your personality and your experiences and how you perceive the rest of the world for, well, majority of the rest of your life stems from those big experiences that happen when you're a kid. I experienced death at a rather young age and from there there's been a lot of death throughout my family, including my brother when I was 15 years old. And because we lived in such a tiny community, I then became known as the girl who lost their brother 
my whole identity as a teenager became based off of, you know, what had happened around me and to me and not actually based off of me. Growing up, after I left school, I tried to sort of, you know, reinvent myself outside of the town and I found that I just could never escape the feeling that I'd felt since I was a kid and that is because it was not in the town, it was in me. So that, I guess, is where my journey really started is when I realised that it wasn't my environment affecting, you know, my mood and my, my life, it was everything that had been built up inside of me. Mm. Right, okay, so then when you moved out of your town, away from your town, and you began to yeah. reinvent yourself, um, what was that journey like? Because recently you became very active about it on social media. Yeah, after leaving high school, I was so infixiated on needing to prove people wrong, needing to be better than anyone I come from what would be considered like a low middle class family, I guess. So we didn't really have a lot, but we had enough in that small community. It just was noticeable for me that I didn't have the same sort of things as the other kids did. And I felt like they got into uni much easier or, you know, the people that kind of have life handed to them on a silver Mm -hmm. platter, sort of always what I felt like I was surrounded by, which sooner on in the story will make a bit more sense as to why I thought that and how that was not actually the reality, but that was just my experience. I was the first person in my family to finish year 12, get accepted into uni and actually attend uni. I have a family of seven, so there's five siblings and my parents, and I am the fourth child. And that put this pressure on me I guess back then it was, I felt like I had to prove, you know, my family are more than this. We can go to uni. I just felt this big pressure to have to make a name of my family. I wanted us to have a really good reputation. I wanted my little sister to know that just because our siblings and that didn't go to uni, that, you know, we still could. I guess environment and sort of mainstream way that you're told your life should go you go to school and then you go to uni you meet the partner you build a house have a baby get married the perfect sort of setup of life is what was in my head as what needed to happen I lasted six months at uni so (laughs) (laughs) I was on my first year first semester when we met It was really, like, it was really fun and I enjoyed it. But back then, I never had the self-awareness and trust in myself that I do now. I was so influenced by everyone because I had that pressure on me and I felt like by listening to other people, that's how I would succeed, that's how I was moving forward and that's how I would be appreciated. That is what I based my self-worth on. And... I can tell you now that I am now 24 and I do not have a degree. I do not own a house. I've only just got into my first relationship since high school. And I'm also probably now at a stage where I'm the happiest that I've ever been since being a teenager. It's, you know, the journey in between those two spots. So I left uni 
and I moved back into my tiny town, I was like, okay, maybe we don't have to go to uni to be anything. That's cool. We can try something else. I felt, though, like I always had to be doing something to start a career. Anything, as long as you're just doing something. Yep, as long as I was doing something. And it wasn't until I got got a full-time job that was a traineeship for business admin. You know, I was on a nice salary. I was renting my own house on my own, which is something that I'd never experienced. I'd always lived with someone else. And that was when I sat down and I went, there has got to be something more. There's got to be more than this. I got the job. I haven't owned the house yet, but I'm renting like I'm on my own. And there was still that pressure. I was like, I'm still not doing good enough. I'm still not enough. I was so scared of judgment. I just spent my whole life comparing myself to others. And that is what I started basing all of my decisions off of. So if I wanted to be like the people that I looked up to, then I had to go to uni. Because they went to uni? Yeah. Right. Because I perceived their success and their self-worth based off of their achievements and what they Mm. were doing. Mm. It was very exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because you come from a big family. Yeah. Um, Did you not find that your family was your, I suppose... Did you not find a support system within your family or? Um, no. <laughs> oh, okay. Like I said before, when I was younger, my parents got divorced and it was sort of a, a messy divorce. It was quite mean. Right. And we, my little sister and I didn't see our dad for a while. And, you know, my mum did her best, but she was also using substances and heavily involved in activities that weren't suitable for children, (laughs) we'll put it that way. And my dad, um, very much the same on the other side. So they were dealing with their own traumas and their own past and without realising it, and I hold no resentment to them for this now, now that I'm doing the work myself, passed down a lot of their trauma onto us kids. So mum was a very angry woman who, you know, felt like she always had to provide, she always had to stand tall, be a rock, like you couldn't see her crack, you weren't allowed Mm. to see her break Mm. and if you did, obviously something Mm. really had to have gone wrong. And my dad, on the other hand, was very emotional but, like, looks-wise, no one really wanted to look at him. Have you seen Harry Potter? Yes. Yeah, okay, so my dad basically looks like Hagrid, real big guy, long hair, big beard, kind of threw off your stereotypical bikey vibes, like Mm. he's covered in tattoos, he's Mm. a big man, Mm. (laughs) he's a big guy. So most people looked at him and they're like, oh, your dad's so scary. And I was like, my dad is a gentle giant. So growing up on one side, you know, I just wanted to be quiet. I didn't want to interfere with what my mum needed to do. Um, I didn't want to be a burden. I didn't want to, you know, try and hassle her too much. So I think that's where my 
like being reserved and quiet, not wanting to speak up kind of stemmed from. Then on the other side, there was my dad who, although he was kind of nurturing, he hid his emotions. And when he was sad, that sadness progressed really quickly into a depression that, well, you wouldn't see him for a week or so because he would just hide in his room sort of thing. So you can see I've got two like polar opposite sides mm. of of the scale in my parents. So mm. I sort of tried to look within for that support. As a kid, that was kind of toxic for me because I had no idea yeah. <laughs> what to ask myself. Like. Yeah, and especially when you are not aware that that is what is happening. Like yeah. I know with myself um, on my journey, the battle that I was fighting mostly was identity. I am an Australian citizen. Yeah. I came here when I was um, I was nine and I'm also African yeah. and a Muslim on top of that. But I come from an African family that is not your typical Muslim family. Yeah. Right? And so I was, I was really struggling with, with the identity uh, battle and you don't realise it until you start to look. And, yeah. and then, yeah, and it helps, like on the journey, it helps when you are aware that I am on this journey. But as you mentioned, when you were young, you were not aware. Yeah. And in recent years, my, like I myself had my own identity mm-hmm. issues mm-hmm. Um, stemming from this sense of me, you know, because I've always wanted to prove so much for my family. I was like, who does that make me? Does that make me ashamed of my family if I'm always trying to make us out to be better mm-hmm. when – Outside looking in, I don't think anyone actually had an issue with my family. It was me feeling like I needed to prove that we were more. And that is something that I am still working on where that exactly stems from. But that is my current awareness around that um, and around how I've based a lot of my decision making up until a couple of years ago. So when I did that course the three the three hard days and was faced with why do you live your life to please everyone else I had to really sit in the feeling of the last 20 odd years of my life because I would have been yeah about 20 when I started my journey and I was so angry the first feeling that I experienced in the journey was anger I was so mad I was like what on earth were my parents thinking how do you not know that you've got all this love you should be giving it to your children sort of thing the first thing I felt was just pure anger I was like how could you let me take so much negativity from my childhood that I end up resenting the whole thing and that anger that's ego That's being so egotistical. So when you start really diving into self-awareness and self-love and self-expression, you know that your true self is pure love. When you're one with yourself, it's pure, pure love. Your ego, that's where your fear, your, you know, the unforgiving, jealous, the comparing is stemming from. So I had lived basically from ego my entire life comparing being jealous not 
looking within to know what I actually had was, you know, enough. I was constantly searching for more. So seeing that my first emotion was anger, I was already looking to blame people for how I was. I was like, mum, how dare you? Dad, how dare you? Like, my brother died. Let's pin it all on him. I'm a train wreck of a person because of my brother. Anywhere that I could blame someone that was not myself, I would. Right down to, you know, my teacher sent me out of class. I didn't get to learn a subject. I was putting the blame on anyone if it meant that none of the blame was on me. I was like, you guys did this to me. I'm the victim. Mm -hmm. And I was the victim for so many years. And I never realised it until again looking out. Mm -hmm. So to be called up on it by my coach, and she still coaches me to this day, she literally looked at me and she's like, you are a victim in your world. And I said, no, I'm not. I fight hard every day to, you know, I thought I was already in the work. I was like, what are you talking about? I fight every day. Like I battle my mental illness. Mm. I go to work. I try to be a better person every day. And the conversation went to, are you doing that for yourself or are you trying to prove to everybody that, you know, I'm battling my mental illness, I'm going to work, mm. I can handle it. Like, who was I doing it for? I could not answer. I was like, I'm doing it for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I swear, <laughs> I'm doing it for myself. And even in that, I was trying to give her the answer that I thought she wanted. <laughs> I was like, really, that is who I was. And that was it. That was a real turning point when I started picking up on the fact that even having a normal conversation, because it's really what the first half of it was, was just us two getting to know each other so she could work out how she could help me. I felt like it was a test. I, I relate with the um, blaming and finger pointing you talked about. Yeah. When my struggle with identity became really, when I became overwhelmed with it, yep. I started to blame the African culture. Yeah. Not not necessarily the people, but the culture. Yeah. Um, I started to blame that, you know, I'm not confident because the African culture doesn't encourage women to be confident. Or, yeah. you know, I don't do the things that I love because in the African culture, it's, it was always the African mm-hmm. culture, the African culture. And um, I suppose the person that served as a reflection, or a mirror to me, uh, for me, uh, was a friend. And she was asking me all these, you know, really... Um, confronting questions that were not I was not comfortable and I started to kind of avoid her for for a while because but she was like what if you what if you stop you know focusing on the African culture and focus on you right yeah and you're like no no it's the African culture okay (laughs) it's not me it's the culture I'm not confident I'm shy I don't do the things that I want to do because of the African culture. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, but you can, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think you will find that every single person in this world has a similar, mm. a similar story to that. Mm. Everybody will blame someone for something <sighs> at some point in their life. Yeah. Your story, Jocelyn, is exactly the same as me saying, well, I'm a messed up kid because my parents, mm. I am 
shy and quiet and an emo at school because my brother died and I have to be sad and live in that grief sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I blamed everybody. It's a very hard and, like you said, confronting wave of emotions when you look at yourself in the mirror and say, okay, I guess this is my fault. <laughs> <laughs> There's no one left to blame. Yeah, I was like, okay, fine. And then I connected with a friend who um, she does Reiki. She's very spiritual. And we started working together. And I was like, there is a whole another world and a whole another part of me that I had no idea existed because I lived from a place of fear. Mm. I did things purely out of fear and when things went wrong, I blamed it on everybody else, even though I had made my own decisions to live the life that I was living. Okay, so you lived out of fear? What, What does that mean? Living out of fear for me looked like not saying no to people it was having no boundaries I never said no because I was scared that someone would be mad at me if you know they asked me to help them out and I said no then they'd think I was a bad person Mm. I used to have anxiety attacks when I drove so bad because I was scared people were going to watch me park (laughs) yeah Yeah, that bad (laughs) yeah I was like, someone's going to watch me park and my wheel is going to be out of that white line and they're going to look at me and think I am the dumbest person in the world and I don't know how to drive and park my car. <laughs> everything that I did. Everything that, so everything that I did. Wow, to that level. To that level. It was, wow. oh, so exhausting. Like, yeah, I, imagine. That was my experience living out of fear. Not setting boundaries, always worried about what I looked. Was I walking on the right side? I would only fill up at the one petrol station because I knew (laughs) I could park. (laughs) I knew that I could park on this right side. If I got to that petrol station, half empty car, and my spot was taken, I would drive and park and wait until it was empty and then come back because I didn't want to park on the other side of the Bowser. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I know. Wow, the things that go in people's minds, eh? Yeah, it still happens. The highest that I've felt, the anxiety that I've felt, you know, that that's a little similar to yours yep. is with breathing. Right. Sounds weird. Yeah, no. Okay, when I was in high school, I used to think I breathed really loud. Yes. <laughs> and when I'm in the bus, especially when I have my headphones on or earphones on, because if, if I don't have them, I can kind of listen to my breathing. I'm like, okay, yep. it's all good. But if I'm listening to music, I'm like, wait, what if I'm breathing really loud? Yep. And there's someone next to me, so then I'll hold my breath. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favourite part about all of this is that it's not until you have the conversations with people that you realise just how many people yes. experience those little things yes. that you're like, oh, my God, I'm so strange. <laughs> In reality, you've experienced Everyone exactly what I've experienced in yeah. that sense of anxiety. In a recent live video that you did on Facebook, mm. you talked about um, losing people yep. in your life, you know, friends that due to, um, I don't know, your, your behaviour or yep. your attitude towards people, you start to lose people in your life. Talk to us a yeah. little bit about that. So that 
fits really well into the living out of fear. I was what we can call a serial gossiper. <laughs> like, for real. And it's not until literally this year that I researched it and it is actually a trauma coping mechanism to gossip so much because it takes the light off of you, shines it on whoever you're talking about. Being in tiny town, everybody knew everything about everyone. So gossiping is huge there. And in high school, I was very bad for being involved in those little gossipy conversations. They're running straight back to the person we were gossiping about and telling them exactly what everyone said. (laughs) But this is where the blame comes in. I never said any of it. I never said anything. I did not. Um, But I can tell you that 17 other people said that your hair looks bogus today, but I never said it. Even if I was the one who was like, yo, this person's hair looks real not cool today. And everyone would agree with me. Then I would run back and go, all these people said this, but I didn't say anything. That is how I literally got through school. And, oh, I could tear myself to shreds about it now. But, like, that is how I was in high school. And I didn't realise until the start of the year when I had a falling out with my entire friendship group in one day. So these were people who I'd been friends with for 20 years. In December of last year, I had a little bit of a meltdown, which kick-started, you know, the heavier side of my healing journey because I'd always been doing the work to an extent, but I'd always been doing it on my own. I just had a, a big breakdown. I was convinced that I was about to get kicked out of where I was living, that all my friends didn't like me, that, you know, everything that I had been trying to do for so long was wrong. I was convinced that the world was crumbling around me. And my friends, they had set up kind of like an intervention for me to be like, you know what, we need to let Rebecca know that it's time to see someone else. Like it's time to stop thinking that I can control my own emotions and talk them through with a professional of course they all came together to try and help me and realized that I was pretty nasty towards all of them (laughs) and so all of them in the one day sort of said like you need to go and get help if you think that that kind of behavior is how you keep friends and it wasn't even something I was aware of until that day until they had said to me like we don't want anything to do with you right now until you get better because the hurt that you've caused all of us is unconsolable at the moment. That day I spiralled again and I ended up in hospital for being suicidal because I still did not want to acknowledge my partner. I went, you know what, what if I'm just not here? Then... Problem solved. Take one to me. I'll see you guys later. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was that intensely hurt, but I was also that intensely trying to blame everyone else for my hurt. I said, you guys hurt me so much. Like, how dare you go behind my back and ambush me? That's how I saw it. Coming home from the hospital, I 
really was sitting in my own feelings and that's when it all started to click. It doesn't matter what I do from here on in. They are always going to see me based off of their past experiences of me. Whatever I do from here cannot be because I want to be friends with them again. It can't be because, you know, I want to prove to them that I can go and get help. It's got to actually be for me. So that's when I jumped on and did that live. It was about a month after all of this had happened. I had deleted social media for a whole month, which was very different for me because I am somebody who, tell you what I'm eating for breakfast kind of thing. And I completely shut all my socials down. I got off of Instagram. I got off of Facebook. I sat in it and I started reading and I started listening to multiple different podcasts and then a lot of just instrumental music. I listened to things that didn't have words, that didn't have influences and I just really sat with myself and went, you know what, I did talk really horribly about people that I loved purely because I didn't want the blame to be on me. Every single person that I have ever loved. There's not one single person that I know who... (laughs) has been free from that. That includes my partner. That's what I've got to share. That's what I've got to tell people. I said, I need to set the record straight on so much of my life if I want my true journey to really start. So that's what I started sharing. Along with doing more work with my coach, I used to get so mad at myself if I had a day in bed. I was like, you're lazy. Just spoke so negatively to myself for so many years. And they're the patterns that I'm breaking now. You know what? If your body is so tired and telling you that you need to have a day in bed, have a day in bed. Embrace that day in bed. I had a really good conversation once with my coach and she said, the things that you see on social media are like a mirror. They're like a mask. Unless we're physically live on Facebook or live on social media, You have no idea where we actually are when we post what we post. For me, I was like, wow, I never really looked at it like that because I always felt like I had to share things that were in the moment. And she said there were days where she would be in bed, but she would post the greatest post you'd ever read in your life. And you're like, yes, that girl is killing it. She is thriving in life. And the reality was she was crying in bed that whole day. (laughs) Because you never really you never really know. And I was like, oh my gosh. I said, that's where all my comparison and like all my comparing things come to. Yeah. And I put her so high on a pedestal and I because I was like, girl, you are on fire all the time. I said, when I'm having a bad day, I don't even post on Facebook. Or if I do it something cynical or like something like literally along the lines of I'm having a really bad day, I'm really emotional. Let me breathe. Like, <laughs> my posts sometimes are so whimsical. And no, I, I love them. I started to notice that what you've just said about people posting the best of themselves, yeah. you know, even even at the worst. I I don't post about myself so much anymore. I usually post like quotes and things like that. Yeah. Um, but I used to post my pictures when I'm looking my best, yeah. when I'm feeling my worst. Yeah. So if your sister's still posting, you know, oh, looking good and Cecile's feeling really bad. She's probably crying in the bath. (laughs) (laughs) But that's it. That's exactly it. 
yesterday I was watching Demi Lovato's new documentary about her overdose and to the public eye, she looked like she was doing the work. She was thriving and she was saying, you know, I'm sober, I'm eating well because she struggles with eating disorders and stuff and it shows a clip of her uh, doing a performance and it's announced like that it's her six-year anniversary of being sober. She wasn't even sober on that performance and it wasn't until I think it was like a month or so later is when she nearly died from overdosing because she had only shared what the people wanted to see, what the exciting and the the rewarding part of the work is. Now in this documentary, she's really telling you this is what happened, this is the real stuff that was going on behind the scenes when everyone thought that I was doing the work, now she's really doing the work. It changes all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> but so in quarantine, I was fluffing is how it got referred to me as by my friends. Well, what does that mean? ex-friends. Making my life look like this amazing, powerful like an influencer type of life you would see that there's a photo of me like standing on top of a dam just sky is awesome because we live on the farm and stuff and I posted that with you know like a quote about finding yourself and being in touch with who you are and being awesome I literally put those clothes on walked up to that dam, got my sister to take the photo and went back to bed (laughs) so that I could write this post because I felt inspired at the time to write what I wanted to write and then I was, yeah, I was laying in bed doing nothing but I only wanted to show the parts of my journey and the parts of me that I thought everyone would want to see. I was like, people have contacted me saying that they can relate For me, my biggest thing, and I think the reason why people relate with me so much is I'm very open about mental illness, Mm. very open about mental illness. Mm. Um, I'm very open about the coping mechanisms that I've had with having mental illness, being, trigger warning, a self-harm survivor and substance abuse, etc. That's what I felt like everybody wanted to see from me then. I was like, okay, I've overcome depression. (laughs) Like... (laughs) I am the poster girl for people living in tiny town to overcome depression. So I posted things that only really scratched the surface because they were how far I was willing to allow people to see me. Now moving back forward to this year, driving back from the hospital, I went, you know what, this is a time where I don't need to be sharing this. This is something that for the first time in my life, I feel like I need to go through alone because I, like I said, I would wake up and be like, guess what? Today I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. And then it would fall through and then people would be wondering like where the next part of the story was, but it never happened. So I could never share it. I was kind of half giving all of these ideas and exciting things that I had planned and what I wanted to do. And then I'd never go through with it. And then everyone would be wondering like, Rebecca, where are you at? (laughs) It wasn't until I had deleted social media that I really went within myself and I was like, you know what, I've really got to do the hard work. 
So I organised to go and see a therapist. I had put such a stigma around it that it was a bad thing. Like, you know, only people that can't take care of themselves need to go to therapy. You know, like they're really messed up kind of people is what it was. And that is not true, by the way. If anyone listening goes to therapy, I think it's actually quite beautiful. And now that I go myself, I can see the benefits. And I think that every person in the world could probably benefit from having a therapist. But my brain back in the day was like, if you go to therapy, you're admitting that something is wrong with you. And I did not want to do that. It literally took half an hour for my whole world to flip. And at the end of the day, when I looked within, I was like, well, where am I? <laughs> like, I was <laughs> yeah. like, where am I inside of here? Yeah. Because every thought that I had was for someone else. And that's when I was like, you know what? I need to stop sharing everything with everyone just for a little while because I need to know who I am, what my values really are. Because that's how you start to you know, live your truth and have a real big acceptance within yourself. I'm sure you can probably relate to this. When you, you know, start to honour your values based off of what you're feeling, not because you've got the African culture or, you know, your family background and stuff, but your own values that you've created from your life experiences, when you take them and honour them as just yours and just what they are, which is just yours and not anyone else's then that's when you can really start to dive into you know the forgiveness and the becoming self-aware so for me it was my values were that I wanted to be an honest person I valued honesty and trust and like commitment and love yet I had never given myself that I had never given anyone around me that and then I wondered why I was crying alone. Like when I realised that I can only change me now, I can't change the minds of the people that I've hurt. I can do my best to set the record straight about things that I've said, which is why I did that Facebook Live. And in that live... Um, for those who haven't seen it, I basically did a background run of my story, much like I've done today. But then I also publicly apologised and publicly went back through some pretty hard times of my life where I could have acknowledged the good parts of other people in my journey. Instead, I had dismissed it I dismissed kindness and I dismissed honesty and all the things that I valued and honestly I'm still trying to work out the reason why (laughs) that's that's where I'm at I'm still trying to work out why I did that um but then after doing that video I said in there your experiences of other people you've already got your mind made up about someone before you even meet them and that is a very unconscious thing. You don't realise it. But if you walk down the street and you see, for example, for me it was someone in, you know, like a woman in a business suit. I was like, holy crap, I can't talk to you. I can't talk to you because you are above me. Preconceived idea because growing up, as I said, feeling that pressure, it was business people are above you sort of thing. So 
your experiences of other people, they're already made up. Your mind's already made up before you've met them. And when you, when you start to acknowledge that, you realise that you can't change how others see you, but you can change how you see others and how you see yourself. That's what I'm working on at the moment. I can change my actions and I can happily say that I haven't gossiped about anybody in a very long time. (laughs) Well done. (laughs) I tend to uh, stay out of those types of conversations or if I do have a negative experience with someone, I will only say something that I would say to that person that I can stand up and say, yeah, this is how I feel about you. I can only change now how I act, how I react, which is a big thing, how you react to something. So going from being somebody who was living constantly in fear and constantly defending myself all the time, I have done like a full 180. I was going to say 360, but that would be doing the same. (laughs) (laughs) I've done a 180 and now in scenarios where I would have felt like I had to make you like me or stick up for myself, I don't. The right people and the people who are supposed to be in my life and the people who are supposed to connect with me are slowly starting to come through because I'm allowing myself to just be. I'm not trying to put like a facade over my life. I'm being more open now about things like going to therapy and having these types of conversations because it just takes one person to say something that you relate to for you to feel just even that little bit better about everything. For sure. Like um, when I saw your live, I was like, yes, (laughs) I relate because um, I went through uh, and I still am on that journey where I started to lose people in my life. And then, you know, I found that a a person that I was very close to, a good friend of mine, was very dishonest. Um, And, you know, you just start seeing seeing things differently. And it was like, oh, my God, what if I'm living in this little bubble and I think everyone is good, but, you know, I'm starting to see things differently. And then you become really afraid of trusting other people, letting anyone else in again. Um, but yeah, I went through that and that was, that was, oh, that was a mess. That put me at my lowest. Yeah. But my journey with myself, I didn't realize that until then I didn't know myself. I hadn't really taken the time to get to know myself. I didn't, I mean, I knew what kind of music I liked, but I didn't really, I didn't value time with myself. Yes, that's exactly it. And even if I was with myself, I wasn't aware, I wasn't conscious about it. You were busy. Yes, busy, I'm having alone time, but that alone time includes writing or singing or dancing or doing something that you still weren't with yourself. Yes. You were just alone. Still avoiding yourself. Exactly. I was going through a very difficult time and then I was forced by circumstances to really face myself because I went through a stage where I was really blaming people, gossiping as well yep. about people. Um, it, it came to a point where it was like I was very comfortable being a victim. They did this to me. I'm like this because they did yes. this. They said that. How easy is that? Yes. And, you know, although although it might be true, but that's them. That's them living their lives. That hasn't, 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was. It's like if they make a decision that upsets me or interferes with my plans. You can only choose how you react to it. Yes, yeah. precisely. Yeah. Um, but there are times every now and then, like two weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I, I'm just going to be a victim tonight because <laughs> <laughs> I, I hate, you know, doing the work. I'm just going to blame everyone tonight. The most beautiful part about that is that is being human. Mm. You cannot be on the... the on the journey, as they call it, or doing the work, unless you are still having those kinds of nights. Mm. The biggest lesson and the most powerful is yin and yang. Everything is balance. You cannot be this person walking around all the time like, I'm full of love, I'm full of light, Smiling. I'm full Sweetness. of absolutely all the most amazing energy that you could possibly <laughs> think of in the whole entire world. Because then you don't experience the deep, you know, anger and sadness because that's still a part of mm-hmm. being a human. It's still a part of life. Like mm. you can't have the good without the bad and you mm. can't have the bad without the good. Mm. So when we're constantly living from a place of being a victim, I personally, I was just living from everything sucks. No matter what I do, no matter what kind of work I put in, everything is awful because I wasn't acknowledging that part of life that's actually quite beautiful. We are so lucky that we can love someone or love something so deeply to experience such a deep sorrow or grief Mm. if we lose it. That is the balance. Mm. I see myself as being that person. I'm a permission slip. My goal in life is to be a permission slip. So people see me as someone who overshares and rambles. Some people view it as me just wanting attention. But the biggest part of my journey is to be a permission slip for others to be on theirs. It's being the person to say, hey, I experienced this today. I've never felt that before. And the amount of people who will go, oh, that's really actually quite normal for me. Like I experience this all the time, then they feel comfortable sharing too because they know that there's someone else going through it, which I think is great. I think it's beautiful. That is my mission, I guess, is to be the permission slip. Yeah. Yeah, Well, thank you for your bravery and thank you for always sharing your journey, whatever you're going through. It certainly has helped me to delve deeper into my journey and to feel more comfortable about sharing my journey as well. I think I've learned that probably my three my three biggest takeaways, I'm going to do that. Number one is that you can only be responsible for your own actions and your own experiences. Number two is that having these types of conversations is so important. You can do all of the, you know, the hard work within, but unless you're having the conversations and sharing or being willing to be open about things, then what are you really doing it for? I see it as there is always somebody in the world who needs your magic. By us having this conversation, you would have helped someone who's listened. I would have helped someone who's listened. So to know that your willingness to open up and be honest has the potential to reach those people and help them. For me, personally, that's reason enough to be the oversharer that I am. I have always wanted to help people 
and I never really knew how to. And it turns out that just being yourself and sharing your experiences is exactly how you can help people, having those conversations. Number three is to take the bad days with the good days. It's having those days and sitting in it and really feeling the feelings from those days and then having a good day. It's not staying in that bad feeling. It's great to feel bad things sometimes. You get to a point where, you know, you can look back and see things that you used to do and things that you've learned from now, which opens the door for you to be able to share that with others. But as I said, you can't make them experience you at all. You can never force somebody or change someone's experience of you. Getting to know yourself and loving yourself and having fun with yourself. I go on solo drives all the time. Just me and and my dog. I take my dog. <laughs> I love my dog. <laughs> me and my dog, uh, once a year, pre-COVID, drove to Victoria and back. We spent a couple of days over there. I loved it. It was being by myself and feeling everything I needed to feel on the drive over and having my thoughts and... Yeah, I think the biggest part of the work is learning to be okay with being with yourself. Yeah, and that is what I'm learning as well and appreciating these days, um, just really loving my, um, my own company and you know, doing things on my own, hiking, um, whatever it is that I am doing, just really loving doing things by myself. Yeah. I can you know, enjoy others' company, but I need to love my company Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And one thing that uh, my coach did help me out with was before I got a partner, I was infixiated on like, I have all this love. I have so much love to give. And I know there's so many people who feel that, you know, they're like, I am such a loving person. I have all this love to give. It like bursts inside of me and I have no one to give it to. Give that to yourself. (laughs) That's, That's what I'm learning. All this love that we have and we want to give to everybody. Give that love to yourself as well because you deserve it most out of anyone in your life because if you're not giving yourself love, who, who's going to give you love? That's perfect and I think that, uh, that is a perfect ending to the conversation as well. <laughs> um, you know, thank you, Rebecca, for joining me in this conversation. Thank you for having me. It's been yeah. really good. I hope you enjoyed uh, Rebecca's story there. Her journey is uh, very interesting um, and wishing her all the very best on her journey. Thank you also to you, our listeners, for joining us in this story and conversation. We hope you are able to take something from this. I hope this encourages you to reach out to your loved ones. Start having these conversations with your family and friends. I also hope this helps you appreciate just how complex a human being is. Perhaps next time you will look at people, especially those who wrong you or hurt you, with a softer gaze. There's always more than meets the eye. If you have any feedback, comments or questions, please feel free to reach out or even better, join the conversation. We would love to have you on the show. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn to join or to keep up with the conversation. We will also be very soon on Medium, publishing an article for every conversation that we have. Again, it has been a great pleasure having this conversation. 
I very much look forward to the next one. You have been listening to One Conversation, where the world is truly one, at least in conversation. Until next time, stay tuned. <laughs>